Good morning, everybody. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning, wherever you are. Um, my name's Jeff. I'm a pastoral apprentice at Church 21. Um, wherever you are, I miss you. I appreciate you. I can't wait till we can finally be together again. And it's just always a privilege to get to open up God's Word with you on any occasion. So this morning, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8. And we're going to specifically focus on verses 26 and 27. So I'm going to read these for you. Um, 8, 26, and 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So I just want to pray on that real quick as we get started. Father God, thank you for the grace that is so apparent in these verses, um, that you show us how the Holy Spirit helps us, um, even in our weakness. And so God, I pray even this morning uh, for all who are listening in under your word this, this day, that you would open our hearts and intercede for us and open these channels of communication. Lord, be um, because of your love and by your grace, um, thank you. And we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so I want to get us in the kind of the right mind frame as I want to focus on these couple of verses and the real need that these verses expose in our lives and the real hope that these verses show us in our lives. So I want to imagine, um, this might be difficult for some, um, others it might be very relatable, but I want you to kind of think what it would feel like if you were living daily with a troubling disease, some kind of um, pain or um, disability um, that that affected your very real day-to-day circumstances. Um a disease in which the symptoms are very real or painful or threatening. And yet, here's the thing, is that you don't know what the disease is. What would that feel like to have this very evident trouble um, or troubling symptoms and yet not be able to know what the cause is, not be able to identify or articulate what is really happening inside my body or or why are these things happening the I, I can monitor and feel exactly what's going on but i have no idea why and this is where we'd normally go to a doctor we would tell the doctor here's my symptoms and they might hook us up and be able to see what's going on a little more uh, being able to track some of these things monitor the symptoms we describe but honestly even some of the best doctors with our finite knowledge and experience, still have a hard time finding a diagnosis. This leads to huge problems. Um, Because without a diagnosis, your best case is just to treat the symptoms. And maybe you can appease those symptoms for a little bit, but it's just delaying the disease maybe. Um, Or at worst, we mistreat the disease um, based on the symptoms. And so... Um, this can actually cause more harm and lead to greater suffering and sickness and even death. 
I've been watching this show on Netflix, I'd recommend it, called Diagnosis. And it's about these kinds of cases. It's about people who suffer with these very real diseases, symptoms that are very painful or threatening, and doctors cannot figure out what is the root cause. And so there's this doctor that kind of hosts this show. She's at Yale University. And she takes these cases. Each episode features one case where she writes up this story for the New York Times, her New York Times column, to share the story across the globe, hoping that somebody somewhere will be able to see or hear what's going on with this patient. And someone might relate and say, that, that's what I'm going through, or that's, I've, I've been there, or that some researcher has been doing work in this field or something. Um, the hope is that um, with more people looking in on the situation, if we could get beyond the, uh, gro- you know, have a, a greater breadth of wisdom or knowledge or experience on the situation, there would be a greater hope of identifying the root cause, dis- diagnosing the disease, so that we don't just have to suffer through these symptoms anymore, but we can treat what's causing the problem and find an avenue for healing and a cure. So um, this, without this disease, it's really, uh, without this diagnosis, a feeling like this or an experience like this can bring a lot of hopelessness, a lot of uh, frustration for sure. Um, and Romans 8, verses 26 and 27 show us something of our very limited spiritual knowledge. Even our inability to communicate with God or to plead our case with Him. Spiritually, we experience very real um, painful symptoms of a world and of a life which have fallen from a perfect order. We recognize that the world is not the way it should be. Um, We realize that our lives are not the way they should be. Spiritually, something is wrong, but it all comes down to how can we intervene? How can we find the uh, diagnosis for our heart that can lead to a path of healing and restoration? And so we can only find this hope with a crucial intervention which Romans 8, 26, and 27 shows us through prayer. So what we'll see today is that if we have been undeservingly enabled to pray by God, then we must faithfully respond by prayer to God. So we're going to look at prayer today and how we can pray in light of a grace that has been shown Um, We can respond to God in prayer because of a past grace. We can respond to God in prayer because of a future hope. And we can respond to God um, in prayer because of a present unity that we will see all through these verses. So I'm going to start off on this point of grace, um, which will require at first looking at what problem? Why does this matter to me? What's the problem that, that I face? So I'll read the first part of verse 26 again, which says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. So I'm going to break this down a little bit more. 
and, and look at why is it that we need help? Uh, of course, this should be our first question. Um, some people don't believe I need any help. But this says that the Spirit helps us, which really automatically infers that we are ones who need help. If it says that the Spirit helps us, well, why, why is it that we need help? It says that we have a weakness. Actually, this can be also translated as an infirmity, a sickness. So likewise, the Spirit helps us. Why? Um, for what? In our weakness. Because we do not know. Okay, there's this limit, um, this kind of disorder, this brokenness in us. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought. So it, it sharpens the point here in saying, all right, why does the Holy Spirit help us? Because of our weakness. What is our weakness? We don't know what to pray for. Finer tip on the point is we ought to know what to pray for, and yet we don't. That's our weakness. That's why we need help. Something that should be isn't. And I'm going to point out through God's word that it's not just a something that's out of order, but a someone that's out of order. It's a relationship that is broken. So uh, to, to really see this in the broad picture of these verses, looking at the bigger context, we we hinge um, kind of on this key word that we start with, likewise. It opens up and says, likewise, the Spirit helps us. So he's pointing back, Paul, when he's writing this, is pointing back to some previous verses. So what is he alluding to? I'm just going to read, um, f- starting from verse 19. It says that, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. There's a key word there, groaning um, together. And then verse 23, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan, there's that word again, inwardly, as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. So this is what ties it into, likewise, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. And we're going to see more about that word groaning. Um, what what does that mean? What it means is that the symptoms are very real. Creation is groaning. We look about the world and we realize things are not the way they should be. We look inwardly at our own lives and even our own hearts and realize things are not the way they should be. There's a disorder going on. Um, the symptoms are very real, but what to do about it or the diagnosis of it is beyond our finite knowledge, experience, or ability. This is a real problem that we face in our lack here. So um, Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 20, verse 22. He's talking with his disciples. His, um, two of his disciples say, Lord, can we recline at the right hand of your throne when you enter your kingdom? And Jesus says this, you do not know 
what you are asking. And he says, are you able to drink the cup that I'm to drink? Our human logic doesn't compute with um, kingdom logic or, or the logic of heaven or the plans of heaven. Uh, James 4.3 says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So we see this brokenness a little bit more here um, that we have a finite knowledge, experience, or ability. Um, this is our weakness. This is part of our weakness. This is really just a symptom of a greater uh, illness that we'll get into. See, it's this inability to fix our own spiritual brokenness, um, nor even to know how to um, ask God, our Creator, to meet the deepest needs of our soul. This is the problem. This is the root issue, is uh, we cannot plead our own case with God. And so what this leaves us is often scrambling, trying to um, meet the or treat the myriad of symptoms that we face without ever addressing our greatest need, uh, which is the root of sin in our own hearts. So we see something out of order in our lives, and we try to treat that. Or we see maybe the behavior that's stemming from a disorder of our heart, and we just try to change that behavior. Maybe if we just change that, things will look better. And maybe that'll change our heart. But really, in order to address the fruit that's showing outwardly in our lives, the disorders around us and in us, we have to treat the root cause. We have to diagnose the root issue in our lives. Um, Otherwise, we go about treating those spiritual symptoms without ever getting to the root cause. It will only lead to greater spiritual sickness and death. The point is we have no bridge by which we may plead our case with God, that we may meet with God and plead our case. We burnt that bridge. The Bible gives us our diagnosis. Let me read a few verses. In Genesis chapter 2, the Lord commands um, Adam, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Ecclesiastes 7.20 puts it this way. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Right? Ecclesiastes 7.29, just a few verses later, says, See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. So doesn't this, couldn't this easily be said of Adam in the garden, right? God made man upright. I I give you every, uh, you can eat of uh, every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God made man upright, but they have chosen their own schemes. They have sought out many schemes. Could this not be said of you and me? That we have sought out many schemes. Romans 3, 9 through 12, Paul writes this um, in the book that we're reading from right now and would seemingly agree with King Solomon who wrote that in Ecclesiastes and says, we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, everybody, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. 
No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And further he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then he builds on that later, saying that the wages of sin is death. So when when you're going to the doctor um, and you're kind of just exposing your need, what you're looking for is a diagnosis. And usually they give you some Latin term for what some blah, 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 ISIS uh, you have, whatever disease it is. And so I'm going to put a word on it today. The word for our diagnosis based on these scriptures is hamartia. Hamartia is this Greek word for sin. And it means, it really gives the connotation of an eternal loss due to missing God's mark. We've fallen short of our relationship with God. God commands early on in his people, um, he kind of sets the bar. And Jesus affirms this to say that the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And the second commandment is like this, to love your neighbor as yourself. But we have a diagnosis. We have this disease called hamartia. This is your diagnosis today. But really having a bad diagnosis is better than having no diagnosis. Even though it says that the wages of sin is death, that's the prognosis on our diagnosis is the is death. Right? God said in Genesis 2 that the wages, uh, no, he said, in the day that you surely eat of this, you will die. And this is what we see throughout time. This is our experience. But having a bad diagnosis is better than having no diagnosis. So on this show that I've been watching, um, I, I recall specifically this one couple who were just, you know, just like we're reading, groaning for restoration, really suffering through the pain of their symptoms of this woman. And they finally sat down with the doctors in the end, and the doctors come back and say, we found a diagnosis. Um, and so they tell her, here's, here's this disease, you know, this long word, blah, 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 blah. But they were so happy. They smiled. They, they were, they experienced this freedom to receive this bad news because they knew that when you identify the root cause, there is, uh, a hope also given a hope revealed in knowing the root cause um, we can pursue a treatment, healing, and a cure. So they were happy to know the diagnosis. It it also validated her experience that the pain she was living in um, finally had a name on it, finally had a reason, that she didn't have to go blame this, this, and that. She knew the reason for her pain, and it validated her experience, and it revealed the path for treatment and healing. So just knowing the nature and reality and the severity of the problem of sin allows us to call out to God. It allows us who to call. And we know where to find restoration because, right, the the diagnosis of hamartia is missing the mark on our relationship with God, falling short of the glory of God, as it says in Romans 3.23, as we all have all done. No one is righteous, not one. 
So why is it that we need help? It's because of this diagnosis. But how is it that we receive help is the second part of this um, first point. Clearly, because of our rebellion, this is that falling short of God's mark, we have earned nothing but separation and death, separation from God and death, apart from his grace. But, and I read to these, I read you these verses, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but I didn't finish the sentence which says, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And then I read Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but I didn't finish the sentence that the free gift of God, there's that word gift again, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's only through this grace that we can even pray for what we ought, to whom we ought. So we we can respond to God now. We We have broken this relationship with God, and yet now he enables us by his grace to respond to him. Um, we can respond to God in prayer as a gift of grace that we have received. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, in our infirmities. It says that he helps us because we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but he does. And this has been accomplished by his grace, the fact that the Holy Spirit can even come and uh, work in us is uh, an act of God's grace. Um, though we have been diagnosed with eternal loss due to falling short of God, we are given help by grace so we can respond to God in prayer. So we have this past grace that has been shown to us through Christ, through the redemption that we have in Jesus. Um, we only have this because of Jesus's perfect life, his death on the cross for our sins, and because of his resurrection from the grave and his eternal life, which we're going to see even more of in a, in a minute. So we have this past grace. We also have a future hope. So let's talk about this a little bit. Uh, the second part of verse 26 says, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings, too deep for words. So there's that word groanings again. So what does this have to do with a future hope? And what does this mean that the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words? Well, this word interceding, remember, part of the problem is that we cannot, as as God is holy and we are sinful, we cannot bridge the gap between man and God. We cannot go to God where we can plead our case. And we have no case to plead because of our sin. But this word interceding, that the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us, means that the Holy Spirit, who is God, makes our petition in line with God's purpose. The Holy Spirit is interceding for you. That means he's, he's petitioning on your behalf. He's in your corner. He's going to God for you. Uh, God the Father. This is we see a whole picture of the the um, the Trinity of God. Yeah, also in these verses that we see God is of one essence, uh, but of three persons. God the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. And so God, in the form of the Spirit, um, intercedes 
for us. And how does he do this? If we just read this word by word, we it kind of unfolds in a beautiful way. Um, the Spirit helps us, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes. How does he help us? He intercedes for us with what? With groanings. Just as we said that creation is groaning, we are groaning. The Spirit is groaning uh, with groanings too deep for words, interceding with groanings too deep for words. We saw this in the previous verses I read, that creation groans for restoration, that we groan for redemption, the redemption of our bodies, our adoption in, in Christ. And the Holy Spirit groans for your completion. The Holy Spirit sees our reconciliation, our restoration by God, and he sees our future glory with him. So the Holy Spirit, he he knows our justified position with God, and he sees our glorification with him. And in that, he takes part in our redemption and in our restoration, groaning on our behalf with inexpressible words for our sanctification. That just means that we are a work in progress and he is at work in us. This is all part of the interceding that he's doing with groanings too deep for words. Um, I have Greek landlords. And so this kind of came to my mind as I was thinking of this. Um, We just moved into a new apartment a few weeks ago and our landlords are Greek. We move in. Um, we see, okay, there's some things that we'd like to see changed. Basically, our backyard was um, overgrown with weeds. The fence was dilapidated. The backyard was mostly just dirt. And so, you know, whenever we see something that we would like maybe done in the house, uh, I talk to my landlord and they say, hey, you know, maybe we could do this or that, you know, whenever you get around to it. And sometimes uh, my landlord, she'll either talk to her husband or she'll, you know, call up on the phone, she'll, She'll turn, she'll, she'll be speaking in Greek. I don't understand a word of it. You know, with her husband or whoever's on the phone. She'll turn to me and say, okay, yeah, we'll do it. And so there's this kind of interaction where um, I'm like, okay, can we do X, Y, Z? Then there's this conversation going on on my behalf. And she turns and says, okay, yes, we've agreed, we'll do it. So, you know, this is kind of like an, she's intervening for my cause. Uh, Let me put it back in our original, uh, just this illustration, this idea of what it would be like in the medical sense of having this disease without knowing the diagnosis. And so in one of these episodes of this show, there was a girl having terrible seizures, poor little six-year-old girl. And uh, the way that it seemed to the best guess of these doctors was that there's this disease that affects only half of your brain. It causes these seizures. And it's this terrible disease that causes shrinking in the brain, and it can spread. It can spread from the left brain to the right or the right brain to the left. And so the only treatment for this, if this was the case, would be a hemispherotomy to um, separate the left and right brain to stop the disease from spreading. But what this would do is it would... Um, it would uh, disable half of her body. She wouldn't be able to use half of her body. She wouldn't be able to access 
uh, what might be on one of those sides of the brain. Maybe maybe that side of the brain is where she processes language. She would lose her language. But if they don't separate the left and the right brain and the disease spreads, then she'll eventually die a shorter lifespan. So what do you do? Choose a, a shorter life with you know, a, a progressing disease? Or do you maybe choose a longer life with a lower quality of life, perhaps? These are really, really hard decisions to make. And yet, through the process of research and by opening up her case to different perspectives around the world, they were able to try something different. And rather than going down that path of, you know, in, in medical terms, a, a path of destruction, really, um, they chose a medical intervention. And what they were able to do is to insert or embed surgically a device in her skull that kind of reads her brainwaves. It's got these nodes that go into her brain and uh, it tracks, it communicates, it kind of, it's a medical intervention. It intercedes on her behalf with the doctors. And uh, so it's this beautiful picture of how uh, this device does this. It reads the brainwaves. Well, first of all, that's not even a language, but it it tracks the brain waves. It, it you know it tracks the brain functions, and then it communicates these as through a computer in binary code. I'm assuming that as a sequence of zeros and ones that sends a message in medical terms to a doctor who can um, interpret these signs and you know put into place a treatment plan to provide a way for healing and a cure all because of this medical intervention. Um, amazing, uh, just part of this process too, is that that device, as it reads the brain waves, can emit a uh, small electric impulse that stops the, mi- the, um, the seizure from even happening um, right before uh, a spike in activity or something like that. So these things are really amazing, but what a picture of how the Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf, right? Going beyond us with words that are beyond us, groaning too deep for words to a God who is infinitely beyond us, yet intimately with us. That is a beautiful thing that God, who is infinitely beyond our finite Existence, our, our our own experience, our knowledge, is actually abiding in those who call on Him. He dwells in us. He abides in us, like this device embedded in as a medical intervention. The Holy Spirit intercedes because there's a work in progress. This is uh, I like to use the word redemption project because we are a work in progress. Listen to this. Philippians one six says. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Colossians 1.21 says you were once alienated and hostile in mind. He has now reconciled in his body by of flesh by his death in order um, future to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Can you imagine yourself standing before God, holy, 
blameless, above reproach? See, he will not stop short of presenting you pure and blameless before God. He won't fall short of that project, his goal in mind. See, he knows what the project should look like from start to finish, and he's interceding and intervening in this project. Just like when I walked into this apartment and I saw that backyard and I see the weeds and the dirt and the mud and the fence falling over, what I see with my eyes is different than what I see with my mind. I see a finished project, a, fr- a finished product in my mind. And so I said, I roll up my sleeves and I get to work helping to restore this. This is a redemption project. When the Holy Spirit moves in, he knows the desired outcome. He, what he sees in today presently is not what he sees in his mind um, at the day of Jesus Christ when we are presented pure and blameless before him. He has, he is working out of that reality. But we, we just go day to day. We might not see a lot of change from day to day, but when you look at a life where you've invited the Holy Spirit to, you know, restore you, and, and we yield to what he's doing, we, we want to say, you tell me your plan. <laughs> then we see a difference over a lifetime. Um, the previous verses here show us what is this future hope that we're longing for uh, when Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, right? These are the symptoms, the sufferings that we experience are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He says that creation waits with eager longing. That's a future hope for the revealing of the sons of God in hope that the creation itself will be set free. This is a future hope. Not only creation, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. We can respond to God in prayer because of a future hope, because he already knows the finished work, and he will not fall short of accomplishing that. And we can walk with him in that, and we can pray with him in that today. This should change the way that we pray. This should give us confidence in our prayer as we, even as the suffering is very real, we can say, Lord, that suffering doesn't compare with the future glory. And that should inform our prayers. This should say something about really what we believe about God. The way that my children ask me for something says a lot about what they believe about me. Um, if my children ask me something doubting that I'd be able to or want to do or give that thing, then that reflects my character. It says, wow, they really don't think highly of me. They don't either, either they don't think I can do what they ask or they think that I won't want to do what they ask. Oh, it, it gives me a high esteem if they think I could do or would want to do whatever is best for them. And so how we ask God shows what we believe he can or would want to do. And we have the Holy Spirit as a first fruits, it says, kind of as this seal, this taste of the already but not yet hope that we have in glory, um, that this 
glory that we have is very real. The Holy Spirit is with us today. But it's not all yet present. We, we still see the sufferings in our day to day. But that glory is ours in Christ. We can respond to God in prayer knowing this future hope. And my third point here, we can respond to God in prayer because of a present unity that we walk in with God. So we have seen this past grace through Christ's life, death, and resurrection. We see this future hope in that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us um, for a day of completion. And we see a present, a powerful presence with us in our unity with God. And uh, we'll look at verse 27 of Romans 8. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This might sound a little redundant because, again, two verses interceding, the Holy Spirit by God's plan. Um, but this is really amazing. It's, it's unpacking even more the, um, the work that God is doing in our lives. It says that he who searches hearts, this is talking about God the Father. Uh, Proverbs 17.3 says, The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. Psalm 139 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. So this this God that he who searches hearts is at work here knows we're tuning into God's knowledge. What is the mind of the Spirit who is interceding and abiding in us? God knows you, and he knows the mind of the Spirit. Remember, the one of the root uh, or the key symptoms in our brokenness, in our broken relationship is, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But he who searches hearts knows. What is the mind of the Spirit? So we have this finite knowledge whereby we are unable even to plead our case. And we are in a perpetually hopeless condition if our hope remains in our own best efforts. In these medical situations, as I was was explaining, their hope is found in, you know, tapping into a greater breadth of knowledge and experience by by um, sharing these cases with more and more people and doctors. But here we see that the omnipotent and omniscient God searches your heart. The very locale of our sin condition. He who searches hearts knows what the Spirit is up to. The mind of the Spirit. You don't know what to <laughs> even pray for as you ought. But the Spirit does. And the Father knows the mind of the Spirit. He knows, okay, here's what's going on for real in your life. He sees through your words. That's why Jesus says, don't pray using fancy words just to be seen. No, pray in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will 
uh, hear your prayer. Wow. So this relationship gives us an amazing power in the unity that we have with God the Father, that he is at work in you. Um, and this is, it's through this that we can come to him in prayer. Um, to put this in another in other words, remember I, I read James 4.3 says that you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Well, First John 5 verse 14 says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So already we know that the Holy Spirit is, is interceding for us according to God's will, is what it says. And if we know that our prayers are according to God's will, then we know that he will answer what he wants to answer, what he wants us to pray, what he knows we should be praying, even when we might be praying something a little different. We might be praying something along our terms, but he, no, he says, I have a better idea. Um, and we see this word interceding again. We saw in the first verse, 26, but he, but the Spirit himself intercedes on our behalf. He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And this says that he intercedes for the saints according to God's will. Um, but what's so interesting here is, even though he's using the same word in these two verses, in our English translation, it's actually two different words. This is a different word he uses for interceding. And it literally means to to hit the mark for you. To hit the bullseye with you. Through you. And And we saw at the beginning here that the diagnosis of our condition is this thing called hamartia. It means missing the mark. Well, this word that he uses for interceding for you is the antonym of that. It's the antidote to the disease. He hits the mark for you. <laughs> you miss the mark in your relationship with God, but the Holy Spirit hits the mark in his relationship with God on your behalf. For you, he pleads your cause. When I'm watching this show, Diagnosis, and we see these painful cases, a lot of times, you know, when they when a parent has to take their child to all these appointments and sees the pain and the harm of these symptoms that they're living through and the confusion in their, in their minds, the father, the mother would look upon their child and say, if I could trade places with them in a heartbeat, I would. I would take their place just to see them healed, just to see them restored, just to see them back again. We have someone who literally traded places with us in our infirmities. We have grace, hope, and power because our Father in heaven looked with mercy on his dying child and said, I will trade places with you in a heartbeat. I will take on your illness. I will take on your sin. And I will give you my clean bill of health. He did this out of joy 
because of his love for you. He knew it would eliminate the disease. He knew it would restore your relationship with him, the very thing that was broken that you could not repair. You can't. See, we have eternal loss because of sin, yet we have eternal gain because of Christ. Romans 8.34, just a few verses later, says that Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That's that same word we just read, interceding. He hits the mark for you in the presence of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hebrews 12.2 says that, that we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We see he's interceding for us there. We can respond to God in prayer because of this powerful unity that we have with God the Father undeservingly enabled. We could not um, bridge that gap between a holy God and a sinful people. And so God came down in the form of Jesus, his son, and died on a cross to pay for our sins so that we can be reunited with him. So we can practice in prayer, praying the words, not my will be done, but yours. We can practice yielding to the Holy Spirit as he intercedes to petition our case with confidence, knowing who we are in Christ. I'll conclude with this last story. Um, I've been speaking with a girl recently who wants to know more about Jesus. She grew up in a very strict religion. And lately, recently, or for years, she's been seeing that that there's this dysfunction going on around her. There's, there's a dysfunction and a disorder in the world. The world is not the way it should be. And she looks at her own personal life, and she sees that my life is not the way that it should be. There's something missing. I, she's groaning for restoration doesn't know where to look and the religion that she had grown up in couldn't answer the problem the root cause of the issues she saw in the world and in her life and so one day she went on a uh, yoga meditation retreat down in the jungles of costa rica hoping maybe maybe the answer is inside of me she came back nothing changed and yet Sometime later, God had been showing her more and more about Jesus. She came to the conclusion that when she looks at the cross, she sees unconditional love. And what the cross does is it reveals two things. It reveals our greatest problem, that there is sin in the world and in you that was so bad that it required the Son of God to die to pay for it because your payment could not suffice. So it reveals your greatest problem. But at the same time, it reveals your greatest hope that God loved you so much that he was willing and joyful and glad to go to the cross for you. So 
this cross answers. It, it puts a name or, or puts into terms what we see is wrong with the world. And it, it shows us the, the greatest hope for the problems that we face. It validates our experience. I'm not crazy. This world really is not the way it should be. But then it shows us the unconditional love of God through the cross. So we can go to this cross and worship through prayer, even today. Um, I want to ask you to consider responding with these two questions. What ways do you see the world or your life in eager longing for restoration? In what ways uh, are you groaning for redemption? And how can you pray for God's will in these areas of groaning? Let's, let's pray to God. By his grace, he's enabled us to pray, and so we can respond to him in prayer. Father God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for showing us um, our need for a Savior by revealing the problem of our sin. And thank you, Lord God, for uh, revealing the hope that we have in you, that you're not, you're not waiting for us to climb this religious ladder of perfection or, or hope that you know, we can earn enough karma to reincarnate to a better life and eventually we can be perfect. No, God, you loved us too much for that. You, you knew that we could never bridge the gap between a holy God and a sinful people. So you came down to us. You showed us your love on the cross where you paid for our sin. And it's as a result of this grace that you've accomplished for us, that, that you've won for us, this freedom, that we can even pray. And, and you know what? We don't even know what to pray for as we ought, as we ought to. <laughs> but you don't even leave us in that. You carry us the whole way. You intercede for us with groanings too deep for words. We have inherited eternal loss because of our sin. But through Christ, we have inherited eternal gain in heaven through you. We thank you, Jesus, and we pray in your name. Amen.